Oh, in case you didn't know, this meeting is being recorded. I think uh, Zoom has certain settings. It could be that they updated them, that they want to make sure everybody knows that when they're when they're being recorded. But what I try to remember to do also is to spotlight myself so that anyways, usually only records me, but sometimes I think if somebody talks, then there's a chance that you'll end up on the recording. So this way, but when I'm spotlighted, I think I will remain on the screen. Okay, all that was recorded as well. So uh, welcome back. This is class number four of the fundamentals of prayer. I hope that uh, you are finding this class meaningful. Tell you, I always say the best part of teaching is, is that I get a chance to learn and grow. And so when I, when I teach about, you know, ethics, so then I, I'm thinking about it. When I teach about Sinai, so I'm thinking about it, changes my perspective on things. And when I teach about prayer, so then I'm delving into learning new things and uh, it transforms my own prayer. So thanks for being here for the ride. Um, all right, so we have spoken numerous times about the fundamental idea when it comes to prayer that especially as we begin our prayers, when we express our praises for God, before we move on to start requesting different things that we need or want. So we always, we start by praising God and that's because we want to clarify for ourselves that God is all able, omnipotent. God can fulfill anything that we're lacking. We are speaking with the, with the right being to be speaking to when, uh, when praying and, and God can, can fulfill whatever our needs may be. So I wanna talk tonight and maybe in the next couple of classes also about maybe certain scenarios that, or pose the question, is there anything that it would be inappropriate to pray for? So the answer is, I think, yes. Um, but I wanna look at different types of scenarios and try to bring it out. So, so let's, let's imagine for a second, a couple of, of scenarios, it's always, something we can relate to is when somebody is sick, that's often when we find ourselves praying. So let's, let's create a few different scenarios with that. So, so scenario number one is, uh, is someone is very sick and uh, you know, there's various, various cures that the doctors are aware of. They give the person whatever chance that, you know, 50% chance of living, whatever it might be. So, you know, so that's number one, scenario number one. Is it appropriate to pray for the well-being of that person? So I think that we would say certainly yes, that's often where we find ourselves. Um, that's, that's scenario number, number one. Scenario number two is someone is very sick and the doctors say, I'm sorry, this is terminal. There's, there's no chance that this person is gonna make it. Is it appropriate to still pray for that person or would we say if the doctors say there's no chance, then we should not be praying? Terminal, uh, scenario number three would be 
that um, someone passes away, heart stops, the doctors pronounce the person as dead, and the family is so sad, so, so, so bereaved, and they're wishing they could bring the person back, and they start to pray, God, please bring this person back. Is that appropriate? To pray for someone who has been you know, declared dead to come back. And uh, so those are, so those are, those are three snares. I want to actually mention one more, which doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a progression. The fourth one, which should really have been the first is we don't know if somebody's sick. Somebody has, let's say they've identified a tumor and uh, they've run a biopsy and they don't know if the tumor is benign or if it's cancerous, is it appropriate to pray for, for a positive outcome on the tests or not? So these are the, the, four, the four scenarios and we'll, we'll try to explore them. And we, these are just examples, but we'll, they, they bring out certain fundamental questions. So number one, which was number four, but I'm going to go in a different order now. Number one is they're running tests. And, uh, and, and you, is it appropriate to pray for a positive outcome from the tests? Number two, someone is sick, but there's a, there's a good chance that they can, they can recover. Is it appropriate to pray for that person? Number three, someone is very, very sick. The doctors say there's no chance that the person is going to make it. Is it appropriate to pray for that person? And number four, someone has died. Is it appropriate to pray that this person should be brought back to life? So our, our exploration starts with a passage in the Talmud, in Tractate Brachos, which deals actually a lot with uh, the laws of not just brachos, not just blessings, but also prayer. And the Talmud has the following. It's number one on the source sheets. It says, one who cries out, it's actually a Mishnah, so it's, it's what the Talmud is commenting on. It predates the Talmud. One who cries out over the past in an attempt to change that which has already occurred, it is a vain prayer, and, and it shouldn't be prayed. So for example, says the Talmud, one whose wife was pregnant, and he says, may it be God's will that my wife will give birth to a male child. It is a vain prayer. Because the, for whatever reason, this, this person in the example wants, wants to have a boy. Maybe he already has seven girls and now he wants the next child to be a, to be a boy. He's waiting for that, that boy that he could play baseball with. And, uh, and he prays that, uh, not that he can't play baseball with a girl, but you know. So, uh, so, he, uh, so he prays that it's a girl. Um, that, that it be a boy. So the Talmud says that that's a prayer in vain. And the reason is because what's, what's happened has happened. Whatever the gender of the, of the baby, it's already determined. It's, you're praying for, for something in vain. You're praying for, basically you're praying for a miracle, I guess, which uh, we'll get into in a moment. So that's already determined what the gender is. Another example, it says, one who was walking on the path home and he heard the sound of a scream in the city. And he says, may it be God's will that this scream will not be from my house. It is a vain prayer. So besides for that, 
kind of sad that he's wishing that beyond someone else, but we understand. He we sometimes feel this. I hope that you know it wasn't us, but uh, but he says that's that's a prayer in vain. Whoever screamed screamed. It, it's it's you're praying now that it wasn't my family member, wasn't from my house, isn't going to make a difference. It's already happened, and uh, and that would be considered a prayer in in vain. <clears throat> so. What is what is wrong with with uh, with praying what it's called tefillat shav a, a worthless prayer a vain prayer? So, so the the, the Vilna Go makes an important point for us here in his commentary, and he says that you know, of course, God can do anything, and we have to recognize that God can make a miracle. God can transform that fetus from a girl to a boy, boy to a girl. It can happen. I don't know exactly what would happen in terms of who screamed from the house. You know, that might be a little bit different. Of course, God could do something like change time, but that's a little more complicated. I think it's a more, it's more visible. Um, but, uh, but at least certainly in the first case, you know, certainly God could, could, could change the gender of the child. Um, but what, what the Talmud seems to be telling us is we shouldn't be requesting a miracle that goes outside the laws of that that doesn't work within the laws of nature within the natural we shouldn't be asking for something supernatural to to occur now the that's why he says it's called a a vain prayer um the, the prayer is in vain the idea isn't in vain meaning it doesn't say like somebody who does this is an idiot it, it, you know, you, that, that gets ridiculous. It's not, it's not a ridiculous idea. It, God can make a miracle and we have to realize that. But what it's teaching us is that we're not supposed to pray for, for a miracle. That's at least on the, on the surface what it seems to, to, be, to be indicating. Now, it's, it, it, we should note that the Talmud, that this was, as I said, it's a Mishnah. It's the, it's the precursor to the Talmud. It's earlier sages. The Talmud, the commentary on the Mishnah actually asks, poses a question on this Mishnah because we find that, uh, that the sages teach us that actually the wife of Yaakov, the wife of Jacob, Leah, when she was pregnant with her seventh child, she had had six boys, and then she was pregnant with another child, that originally it was, it was destined to be a male. And she felt bad for her sister, Rachel, because they knew through divine inspiration that there would be 12 sons to Jacob. And Leah already had six, and each of their maidservants had two each, which is 10. So if Leah had the seventh, that would make 11. There would only be one left for Rachel, for Rachel to have. And then Rachel would have less than the maidservants. So Leah prayed, the sages teach us, that she not have a boy. And, uh, and, and that she have a girl. And, uh, and indeed, even though she actually was carrying a boy, a male, the, the fegus changed gender, or maybe the fegus is switched. There's different versions of the midrash, whether, and, uh, and, and it, 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 she ended up having a girl and that was Dina. And then, uh, and then Rachel had, had a boy and that was Yosef. Um, actually, the, there's an interesting comment of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky 
that he suggests based on this, this midrash that the genders switched, that uh, that was why uh, we find that Yosef, Joseph had certain feminine qualities. There's, 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 there's this idea that he, uh, that, that talks about how he, he like would, would, would play with his hair and there's different midrashim that, that indicate that he had certain feminine qualities. So, uh, so Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky connects that to this midrash that perhaps it, it was because he, uh, he, he was originally supposed to be a, uh, I don't know, he, that the, the fegus was originally destined to be a girl. Again, it depends how you understand the midrash. Of course, nowadays in the world we live in, this takes on a whole, a whole different meaning, um, but I think it's, it's an interesting, interesting idea and, and an interesting uh, entry into that, into that, that other topic, which, which it could lead into. So anyways, that's a side point. Um, the, so the Talmud raises this contradiction that, that we, we see that actually Leah did pray for, a, uh, for this, this kind of miracle. So, uh, so the Talmud comes out, it, it, gives, uh, it gives two answers. The, the first of the answers is the following. The Talmud says, um, kind of vague actually, like, yes, but that, that was a miracle. In, in other words, that was like a special miracle for, for her. And uh, and it's not to be applied to to other other situations, um, or alternatively, the Talmud says that it was actually before the gender was was clarified on on the baby, and uh, within the first forty days, while the gender is still developing. So at that point, apparently, it's still appropriate. It would be appropriate to pray if a person had a certain gender that they that they desired, since it hasn't actually nothing has actually formed in the baby. That although we understand based on modern science that the chromosomes will ultimately determine determine the gender, that's what the Talmud says that before anything is developed towards towards the gender, it's okay to pray. Anyways, I don't want to get into the science of of, of the Talmud, but uh, but this is this is the Talmudic idea. The idea is that that it is not appropriate to daven to pray for a miracle that alters the course of, of nature. And therefore, the example is it wouldn't be appropriate to pray for the gender of a fetus to change in utero. <clears throat> now, many commentaries raise a difficulty um, with a later ruling that actually appears in our Shulchan Aruch, in our Code of Jewish Law, and it relates to the prayers that we say, the additions that we add on Chanukah and on Purim into our benching, into grace after meals, Birkat Hamazon. And so when we, when we say Birkat Hamazon during Chanukah or Purim, there's a special insertion and that's called Al Hanisim. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's really giving thanks to God for the miracles that he brought, specifically the miracle of Chanukah and Chanukah and the miracle of Purim <coughs> on Purim. And that's fine. There's no question. There's no problem with that to thank God for a miracle. It's not praying for a miracle. It's just praising God for the miracles that occurred. The problem is that there is a ruling that says that if one forgot to say the Al-Hanisim, one forgot to insert this, this prayer, this paragraph of praise in the proper place in the benching in Birkat Amazon, then later on in, in the benching, there's something that you can add instead, and that is 
because there's a section in benching which has a whole list. We call it like the harachamans. Harachaman this, harachaman that, which means the merciful one, and we pray for different things. And, uh, and there's a whole list of them. It's in the daily, daily benching, daily grace after meals. But it says that if you forgot to say al-hanisim on Hanukkah or Purim, you can add in this special prayer. And I put it in the, in the sources number two. We recite al-hanisim, which means for the miracles, in Birkat Amazon grace after meals on Hanukkah and Purim. If one left it out, he does not go back. However, you can mention it amongst the harachamans and say harachaman, which means the merciful one, should make miracles for us as he did in those days. And this is the custom, it says. So the custom is that if one forgot to insert al-hanisim, they should say this prayer later on in the, in the benching. But if you read this prayer carefully, it seems to be that we are asking for a miracle. See, the original paragraph that we're talking about, if you skipped, was just a praise of God. You know, thank God for, for the miracles that he, that he brought for us and the salvation. But the insertion that it says to make, if you forgot to say that, is actually a prayer. It, the merciful one should make miracles for us. We're praying for miracles. So how do we reconcile this? Because I thought that the, the indication from this passage in the Talmud is that one should not be praying for miracles. And here, it seems to say that it's okay to pray for miracles. <clears throat> so there's, uh, there's two main, main answers given. Perhaps there are others offered as well, but two that are often quoted and uh, they're, they're very important. Um, to, to understand. The first is that there's a difference between an individual praying for a miracle that's above nature for themselves, for their own situation, and praying for a national miracle. For an individual, it's a little bit presumptuous or it's a little bit um, out of line to say, you know, God, please uh, alter nature just for me. Right, as much as God loves us, but God also has a system in place in the world, and uh, and we have many you know different indications throughout our tradition that in general God wants things to run in a natural way and not have to bring about miracles. In fact, uh, persons are allowed to put themselves in a dangerous situation and rely on a miracle. That that that's that's not proper behavior. Talmud speaks about that. So so for an individual to say you know, God, you know, change nature for me is number one, presumptuous. Um, and, and, you know, and, and number two, like, why, and maybe this is the same thing, but like, why would a person think that they're deserving of that, of such a, you know, such a significant change in, in the world? But when we're dealing with a, you know, a, a national situation, we're calling on the merits of, of all of the Jewish people so in that type of situation, then it is perfectly appropriate to pray for something miraculous, something above nature. And so therefore, when, when we say this insertion on Hanukkah, if a person forgot to say the one they were supposed to say, and they insert this, what we're really just saying, we're not asking for a miracle just for ourselves, just for me, you know, God, please bend nature just for me. That would be inappropriate. But to pray for, 
for, for the miraculous, for, for, you know, for all the Jewish people together, that would be perfectly appropriate. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's answer number one. Um, <clears throat> number two is that there are different kinds of miracles. You know, we, we can throw around the word miracle, nace in Hebrew, um, but there's different types of miracles. The word nace actually comes um, from the word like banner, you know, it, like it, it, it shows, shows God like on a banner. It's, it proclaims God to the world. But there's different types of miracles. There are miracles that bend nature. And then there are miracles where you, you don't, you know, nothing unnatural necessarily occurs. Um, it's just, we call it a miracle because it's so unlikely or something like that. So, you know, if we, we call it a miracle because we, if we pay close attention, we can see God's hand operating and, and moving the, you know, pulling the strings. And, uh, and that's the type of miracle that we're referring to. That's the type of miracle uh, that occurred during Hanukkah, at least with regards to the, to the battle, certainly. The, the idea that a small group of, of Jewish soldiers defeated the enormous Greek army so that's that's not uh, that's not an open miracle, but it's nonetheless still considered a miracle, and uh, and that is what's appropriate to pray for. But to uh, to to pray for something that's that's beyond nature would be inappropriate. So so these two answers may be somewhat um, contradictory, um, but uh, but they're. They're both something that we can start with, that we can work with. So number one, again, is that, that it's okay to pray for a miracle if it's for the Jewish people at large, to call on the merits of all the people, that, that's acceptable, but for an individual, it would be inappropriate. And the second answer says that um, praying for a miracle within the natural order is okay. Naturally, something to occur naturally, but unexpectedly, perhaps we can say, is 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 okay, and the it, it becomes problematic if uh, if we're asking for something above above nature, and so if we if we now go back to our our different scenarios, maybe we can try to plug in some of some of what we we've learned. So our first scenario was that uh, there's. There's uh, someone's awaiting test results, so they they did a biopsy for a for for a, for an apparent growth, a tumor. So if uh, by the way it's thundering outside, if I shut off, it's because my my uh, <clears throat> electricity went out. But but uh, it's not it's never happened before. But uh, if it does, I'll try to get back on. Um, but uh, so, so in that scenario, so that seems very similar to praying for the baby to change its gender, right? The, the, the tumor is either benign or cancerous. It already is there, right? We, to pray that it be one or the, I mean, you're gonna pray that it's benign, to pray that it's benign, well, that's praying that it just change. So it doesn't really make sense to, to pray for that. And that would, would perhaps be considered um, a vain prayer. 
That's what it would seem. Now there, there may be reason to push back on that, but that's how it seems. That's how it seems to me, at least. I spoke about this today with my colleague, Rabbi Grossman, and uh, he, he, he basically agreed with me. I mean, he certainly he totally agreed with me. Um, that, and, and so therefore, if somebody wants to pray in that situation, they should rather be praying for a good outcome, you know, in the end, that, uh, that what, it is what it is, but, I, but we should pray that things improve because things can change after that. It can, it can go away. We should pray that it goes away. If it is, if it is cancerous, we want to pray for a recovery, but to pray for it to be something that it is, that it, that it already isn't, that would seem to be a very similar to what the Talmud describes as a vain prayer to pray for one gender over the other. Now, Rabbi? what about if someone is, is sick and they're undergoing some kind of, of treatment or whatever it is? So it's very appropriate to pray. We're, we're praying for, 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 for improvement, for a good outcome. But it's, Rabbi, it's, yeah. How, what about the case where you ran the test, but the, the results aren't known? Not even the doctor knows yet. It's just something that's suspicious. Right. So then to... Per, to pray that it's not as bad as a doctor fears or thinks? So again, I think that if you're praying on the past, it's, that would fit into what's being you know, described as, 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 and I should mention that the way that some of the commentaries say it is, is how I just said it, although I haven't said it that way up till now. If you're praying about the past, if you're praying that's about something that already happened, then then that's, that's a prayer in, in vain. So if they're awaiting test results, then, and, and somebody is welcome to speak to, to their own rabbi to get a different perspective, but I think that, that, that to pray for a positive test result is, is a vain prayer because it is already what it is. We have to pray on the future. We have to pray going forward that things should improve, that things should change, but, but whatever, the current situation is, it, it is what it is. That's, that's what seems to emerge from, from this passage in the Talmud. Um, the, the only reason I'm, I'm like holding back a little bit is because there's another passage in the Talmud which seems, which is a little bit contradictory, but it, it, they try to rationalize it, but I mean to, to, uh, to uh, reconcile it. And that is, there's a, there's a passage in the Talmud that, that teaches an idea that when something is, is hidden, then blessing can come upon it. So it says that if a person is going to be counting their, their grain piles and they want to pray that they have a lot of, they, they should have extra grain, that they should have blessing in their grain, they should do it before they count, not after they count. Because, because you only get blessing on something that's hidden from the eye. That's, that's a, another passage in the Talmud says. And it seems to somewhat contradict this because Whatever amount of grain is there is there. You know, how could you pray that it should be more than what it is? It is what it is. So, so they, they, the commentaries try to differentiate between these two, these two scenarios, the scenario of the fetus and the scenario of the pile of grain. But to me, the, the scenario of a, of a medical test is more similar to the fetus. It's, it, it is what it is. Um, and, uh, and it's it's going forward that 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 we have to we have to pray for we have to dive in that that things should improve whatever whatever the situation is. Um, in the scenario of where the doctors say, you know, there's no chance 
terminal illness. So, uh, so here again, first of all, I think that everybody knows doctors have been wrong before, right? Um, so, so just because they're telling us that uh, that there's no there's no chance, you know, things have happened before. There could be there could be an improvement, and also it comes back to the idea that there could be an, a, a recovery within the natural order. If someone were to recover after, you know, which has happened plenty of times after a doctor said, you know, there's no chance. So would we say that that's a miracle that's, a, that's above nature, that's, that's breaking the rules of nature? No, not necessarily. You know, God can bring about a cure within, within the natural. The, they had a miraculous recovery. Things started to, to improve. It's, it certainly can work within the natural order. And therefore, it's, it's certainly appropriate to, to pray for, for such a person because, because they, a person can have a natural recovery even, and, and again, by natural, I just mean within the laws of nature. We're, we're talking about divine intervention, but within the, within the laws of nature. So therefore, when I'm praying for that, I'm not praying for a miracle that's going to break the laws of nature, which would be inappropriate at, you know, on an individual level. But I'm praying for for a miracle that's uh, that's 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 within the natural way, something miraculous to happen within the natural order. And finally, in the fourth scenario, where the person has already died, so there again, unless we think that they made a mistake, um, that the person is not actually dead, um, then it would be again inappropriate to change to try to change the past and and pray for a miracle. That would that would alter alter the past. That would be something supernatural, and uh, and would seemingly be inappropriate. Um, based on based on what we said, that if we're praying for the you know a national miracle, then it is appropriate to pray for something miraculous, or at least it's not inappropriate. So uh, so that also you know if we if 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 Israel is is under attack. And uh, and 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 we feel that 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 we 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 need a you know a miracle. So then, uh, as you know, as in different scenarios over over the life of this, of, of of our people has has been the case, then uh, then it would according to this it would not be inappropriate to pray for something, even if we're praying for something for something that's that's supernatural. <clears throat> okay. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the philosophical, and I think it's a good entry point into looking at the second blessing of the Shemona Esri, of the Amidah, which is often referred to as Givuros, the, the blessing of, of might. It begins Atagibor, which means God, you are, you are mighty. And uh, it also this, 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 um, this blessing touches on the resurrection of the dead. Actually, three times in the blessing, we mentioned the resurrection of the dead. We're going to have to, uh, we're going to, have to comment on that. Um, why, why three times? But, uh, but you know, if, if any blessing gets into sort of the, the supernatural, the, 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 the breaking of nature, so it would be, it would be this blessing. We have Melchuk potholders, Glicka. Um, so, so let's, uh, let's take a look. 
So the blessing begins, Ata Gibor, which means you are mighty. Now, what does it mean to declare God as mighty? So you may remember that even in the first blessing, we refer to God as Hagibor, the mighty one. Same word. And we gave a certain interpretation there, but the point that we that we brought out is might usually implies stronger than other than someone else. You know, that's the idea of Gibor. It's overpowering. And to, to use that word, to associate that word with God actually seems a little bit out of place because God doesn't overpower anyone because all, anyone's power actually comes from God. So it's not exactly uh, overpowering anyone. He's, he's providing, he is the source of anyone's strength, of, of any strength in the world. But still, from our perspective, that's how we, we, we may see it. And that's, it could be that that's how Rev Dessler explains it. We're just talking about it from, from our perspective. The way that, that we, we, we observe it or, or we un, can, can understand it is, you know, we see certain powers in the world. They seem independent to us. And, uh, and with this, we declare that God is Gibor. God is mighty. God can overpower them. And in particular, in, which ties into what we're talking about today, is the natural order of things. There's, there's a system of nature that's in place. Obviously, God put it there. It's, it's, and its source, its strength comes from God. But Atagibor, God, you are mighty. God, you can overpower, you can overpower nature. And, uh, and we're acknowledging that. Now, remember, we're still in the beginning of the, of the Amidah, which means we're still in the praise section. We're not making any requests yet. We're not asking. So none of the things that we say in this paragraph are prayers for that where we're requesting anything from God, we're just praising him. And we'll have to keep that in mind as we, as we go through. So over here, we're praising God that he can overpower any, any power in the world, including the, the, the powers of nature, which he put in place, and he can, he can bring a miracle. Now, we, we've discussed that in general, it's not appropriate for us to be praying for a miracle that breaks the laws of nature. So maybe you might say, well, so then why are we praising God about that he's mighty and can overpower nature and preparing ourselves to now ask him for things if we're not going to be asking about, uh, about you know, asking anything for him to overpower nature. So, so the first of all, we can answer, well, we already said that sometimes it is appropriate. In certain circumstances, it is appropriate if we're praying for the, the community at large, it's appropriate. But, uh, but furthermore, it's still important to start off this way and remind ourselves that, that God can make a miracle and if, he can, and, and if he can make a miracle and bend the laws of nature, then certainly he can make a miracle that does not bend the laws of nature. He can make a miracle that, that uh, he can, he can alter things, alter the course of, of our life in order to improve things for us. So as we prepare to, uh, to, to, to again, to make our, our ask, to ask God for, for wisdom and for good health and for sustenance and for redemption and all of those things, we clarify for ourselves, God, you are mighty. God, you have, 
you can can do anything. You can bend the, the the all the natural systems. You can override them, overpower them, and so that's how we that's how we introduce this blessing. And we continue and we say atagi bar olam. You are mighty forever, because some people think that God is is limited, that God tires himself out. You know, after after a day or a week or a, or a year or a millennium, you know, God gets tired and and uh, and his strength went, wanes. He's been you know he's been working hard all these years. Maybe some think that God gets old, and uh, in fact, the midrashim teach us that this was part of Haman's claim at the, in order to convince Ahasuerus in the story of Purim to, uh, that, you know, the God of the Jews has given up. He, he, that's what he told him. He said, look, he's not helping them anymore. They're in exile. He's tired. He's old. And uh, Haman was, was proving quite wrong. But, uh, but that's what we express here, that God's strength never, it's forever. It never wanes. He never tires. And, and at any time he can he can overpower anything and any any powers in the world overpower nature. Um, and we refer to God here again as as my master Ado and Nai my master. And here it's not written with the the four letter name Yud and then Hey and then Bab and then Hey, which is also pronounced that way. But here it's actually spelled out as as my master. Um, there's uh, there's different explanations for that. They're beyond the scope of uh, of this class, but uh, but we again we say you are mighty forever, my master, and then we refer to the resurrection. ata, you are the resurrector of the dead. So we need to before we we get into this, we have to first mention that. The idea of the resurrection of the dead, is actually one of the 13 principles of Jewish faith. It's an essential idea within our faith that there is going to be a resurrection. Um, it's not a, a topic that I have any, any expertise in, if anybody does, um, but, uh, but it's, it's a fundamental belief that after, after everybody, at, well, there will be a period of Mashiach, of, of, of a Messianic period. And then following that period, for most people, some, some extra righteous may have their resurrection early, but following the Messianic period will be a resurrection where the, 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 the bodies, the dead will come back to life. There's a purification process that went on after death. The soul went back to the world of souls. The body remains in the ground and uh, and undergoes a period of, uh, of, of reparation, of improvement, of, of tikkun, and, uh, and then is resurrected after the messianic period for the ultimate uh, olam haba world to come, where the body and soul are reunited to, uh, to experience God in the, highest, in the highest form for those who, who merit it. And this is a a fundamental belief within Judaism. It's one of the 13 principles mentioned by Maimonides. So that's what we refer to over here. In this blessing, we say, God, you are the resurrector of the dead. And 
in a, this is the ultimate expression of God overpowering nature, right? Like, like we just said, in normal terms, if a person has died, we are not to pray that they come back to life. That's way above the, the laws of nature, way above the, law, the natural. But, uh, but, but, but fundamentally, we do, we do believe that there will come a time where there will be a resurrection. And, uh, and again, this expresses our, this, this, this highlights and, and really brings out our belief in, in God's control over, over nature and over the world. And we say that God is Rav Lehoshia. He is, uh, he is powerful to deliver us, powerful to save us. We, we, we mentioned last week that at the end of the first blessing, we say that God is Melech Ozer Umoshia. God is a king who helps and who saves. And the way that we explain the word um, Moshia, saves, is that there are certain situations where there's nothing we could do. Ozer, God is a helper, means sometimes we have to put in our effort and God helps us complete that effort. There are certain scenarios where there's nothing we could do. There's, it's, it's totally out of, out of our hands. There's, we have no contribution to make. And yet we, we, we express that God is Moshiach. God, God, God saves us. God, can, God still intervenes in those situations. And that's expressed over here, Rav Moshiach, which is extremely you know, powerful to, to deliver us, to save us. And this refers to after death, that, that after, after a person dies, they certainly have uh, can, cannot contribute in any in any way, and yet there's a salvation for the for the body and the soul that uh, that eventually comes when the uh, when the body is is resurrected. Um, and now after that, we have an insertion that we say in the winter months we we praise God for rain. It's again, it's not a request. We're not making any requests here. We are only in the section where we're praising God. So we praise God for rain in the times of year that it's appropriate for, for rain, which is the times of year that, that it's beneficial for, for it to rain, at least in Israel. And we say, He's the causer of the wind to blow and of the rain to fall. The main focus here is the, is the rain. Um, and, uh, and we mention it over here. It's very interesting. You know, we, we're talking about the, the resurrection, the dead, and all of a sudden, we're talking about, about rain. But the, in truth, there's a lot of similar, there are many similarities between rain and the sustenance that it brings and, uh, and the idea of a resurrection. And that's why it's mentioned over here. So for example, um, the first important point that Rav Dessler makes, Rav Elio Dessler, is that, you know, when we think about the resurrection of the dead, so, like I said, it's a tremendous miracle, you know, it's because it's, why is it a tremendous miracle? Because it's absolutely smashing through the laws of nature. People don't come back to life within the natural order of things. Um, from, you know, a lifeless body. On the other hand, to us, it seems, you know, if we see uh, we have a little potted plant and we put seeds in and we pour water and it sprouts, okay, you know, no big deal. It's not a big deal. 
And we're not, we're not too impressed by that. And why not? So the answer is because we're used to it. We see it all the time. That's why it's nothing amazing. But imagine if it was the opposite. Imagine if you took a body, you put it in the ground, you watered it or you didn't water it, whatever. You wait a month and then uh, the body pops out. It's alive again. It's resurrected. And imagine that's what happened every day, you know, all the time. That's how the world functioned. But imagine this amazing, miraculous thing. You take a seed, you put it in the ground. And if you wait 6,000 years, it's going to sprout and a plant will grow, right? And that, if, if we only saw every 6,000 years, or, you know, I'm just throwing that number out, but, you know, it would be amazing, right? Um, it's, it's something we've never seen before. It would be breaking the laws of nature, breaking the natural order. What it comes down to is what's, what's a miracle to us? It's, that we're, what, it's what we're, we're not used to seeing. What we're used to seeing is, is, is natural. What we're not used to seeing is, is, is miraculous. And, uh, and mentioning in the same context as the resurrection, mentioning the idea of, of rain and how it sprouts something from the ground is a, it can help us appreciate the, the idea of of the resurrection, of a future resurrection. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's, 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 God can make something grow out of the ground. God can also resurrect a body from the ground. Um, and there are other similarities that, for example, rain, rain brings about a resurrection, so to speak. The, the process of a seed growing itself is somewhat of bringing something back to life. The seed is dormant. Um, if it doesn't get the proper amount of water and oxygen and, and nothing's going to happen to it, it receives water and oxygen and then it breaks open and it germinates and it breaks open and something, something sprouts. It's, it's, it's a resurrection that, that it experiences. Also the, the, the land experience a resurrection at the end of a, at the beginning of a, of a growing season. It looks completely dead, you know. It's brown, and uh, or or there's nothing growing there, and uh, and then it rains. And after that first rain, all of a sudden, you start to see the life coming back. Things start to blossom and bloom, and so in a certain sense, that's also a a resurrection. So uh, so so there's 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 definitely a connection here, and and. It helps, and and the the idea of rain can help us appreciate the concept of of an ultimate resurrection. Um, okay, but it also ties into what we continue with, and that the the next series of of praises of God, all are I would say like quasi resurrections, so to speak. As a, so, so first we say. God is the sustainer of the living with kindliness. Michalkel means that not just that God sustains, but that he sustains us according to what we need. And, uh, and again, if, we're, if we try to appreciate what we're doing as we say these words that we're preparing we're praising God to help us appreciate 
all that he does for us, all that he can do for us before we then go ask him. So we can internalize, we can consider at this or contemplate at this point that he sustains us according to what we need and that he, he gives, he provides for what we need. And, uh, and whatever, whatever we end up with is, seems to be that, that that's, that's what we need. Because God is Michal Kel. God fills us up. He, he gives us, he sustains us based on the need of each individual. And we say he's Michal Kel Chayim. Chayim means life in general. It's not just us. It's all of, all of creation, all of life, plant life, animal life. God sustains all of that at the same time. And how does he do it? Bechesed, with kindness, even though we're not always deserving. Certainly, um, other creatures don't, you know, they don't have mitzvot, they don't have commandments, they don't have kindness, they, they don't earn anything, they, they're not deserving of, of anything, but God provides for, for all with, with kindness. And this, of course, ties back to the rain. The rain, we, we mentioned the concept of rain because that also ties into providing. God provides rain, which provides sustenance for, for the world. Um, and in a certain sense, he's giving life. By giving food, by giving sustenance, he's giving life. Uh, that's similar to a resurrection. A resurrection is giving life. And now we go through these stages while God provides sustenance. That's also giving life. God, we continue and we say, um, we mention again, again, that he resurrects the dead. So, so some commentaries here explain that it can't mean the same thing that it just meant a few lines ago. We just said that God is the resurrector of the dead. So what does it mean over here? So it must mean something else. And what some suggest, the Ritva suggests that it refers to someone who is near death. One of the examples, one of the scenarios that we mentioned that uh, God can revive them and allow them to live longer. Um, and perhaps a, a deeper meaning as explained by Rabbi Chaim Friedlander is behind this idea is that someone may have a, a decree that the justice demands that they're, you know, that th it's time for their, for their life to, to come to an end. And, uh, but what we express here is that God is mesim, God resurrects the dead rabim, with great mercy. That at times God's attribute of mercy will override his attribute of din, of justice. And so even if sort of the, the justice demands, justice states that this person's time has come, but God has great mercy and uh, and and we, and we can sort of break through and, and in his mercy, he can extend their, extend their, their time on earth really to give them, to give them uh, more of a chance to, to keep improving. And, uh, and so again, this is sort of a type of resurrection. It's a person that's near death, but then can experience um, more, more an extended life. Um, other ways that God revives us, it continues, he raises the fallen. So a person could be, could be sick. They can, uh, they can be, you know, fallen. They can, they can uh, have experienced difficulties. They could be poor. 
And God, so to speak, resurrects them, raises them up. God is rofei cholim, a healer of the sick. Even once the doctors have given up, but, uh, but God, uh, God brings about healing sometimes. And, and again, we should mention, this is not a prayer at this point. We're not asking God to heal the sick at this point. And we're being appropriate at this point to start thinking, you know, God, please heal so-and-so. We, we have that, we have a blessing for that later in the Amidah. At this point, we're just praising God. We're just recognizing that he is, can do this and does do this and is kind and has great mercy. And then we say, umatir asurim, and he releases the imprisoned. So besides for the most basic understanding that he releases someone who's, who, who is imprisoned, but a person could be imprisoned in other ways. A person can be imprisoned because they're too sick or too weak to move. A person can be imprisoned by themselves, by their own self-esteem, by their, they hold themselves back. A person can be imprisoned by other people who are limiting them. But in all these scenarios, we again recognize that God is a God who frees the imprisoned. And we praise God for that. And then later again, we can, we can ask God if we find ourselves in a certain scenario that, uh, that, that it's appropriate for us to pray for this. So after we, we praise God here for it, we can later make that request. And finally, for today at least, we have uh, He's the fulfiller of his faithfulness to those who sleep in the dust. <clears throat> and this also goes back again to the resurrection. He fulfills his promise that uh, to, 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 to the dead, that he will resurrect them. Um, but it's interesting because it doesn't refer to them as the dead over here, it refers to them as the, those who are sleeping. Why does it refer to them as, as sleeping? So <clears throat> two, two possibilities here. Uh, number one, that by referring to it, to, to, to the dead as sleeping, it expresses a certain recognition that this is temporary, that it, it acknowledges the idea that there will be a resurrection, just like someone goes to sleep generally they, they wake up. So, so too, we understand that someone who dies, they're going to wake up at some point. There will be a resurrection. It's just, it's just sleeping. And, uh, and secondly, another important point is that even when a person dies, there is a still, a, and, their, and their soul departs from them, there is a small part of their soul that remains with them. And that is where sort of the the resurrection, the ultimate resurrection will be manifest from, is from that, that, uh, <clears throat> that spark that still remains with them. And, uh, and this actually explains the idea of going to pray by the, the, you know, there's customs to go and pray by the grave of a, of a tzaddik, of someone who's righteous, right? That was what people go to Meiron for, to pray by the grave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So different, different graves of great righteous people, you know, why, what's, why is anybody praying by a grave? It's just a, a pile of bones. But, but the idea, according to at least Chaim Friedlander, is that because, because the, the, our tradition teaches us that actually there is a spark of the, of the soul that remains with the, with the body after it passes from which the resurrection comes. So therefore, there's, there's still something there. And, uh, 
Now, what the concept still, what, why we're doing that, we're calling on their merit. We're not asking, we're not praying to the, to the dead sage, but we're, we're calling on their merit, but there's still something there because their soul is still, is still present. So, so just to sort of wrap it up, we, we talked about the idea that we're not in general supposed to pray for a, for a miracle that breaks the laws of nature on our own, but uh, for, for an individual, but it's perfectly acceptable to pray for something that seems beyond reach, but that can play out in natural terms. Someone is terribly sick, but we can still pray, even though the doctors don't give them a chance, but God can bring about a, uh, a, a salvation. God can cure that person through, through natural ways. And, uh, and I think a lot of that idea is what's being expressed in this blessing, which we've only done half of tonight, but in that we start by recognizing God's full control of, of nature as a gibor, as the mighty one who overrides nature. The ultimate expression of that is God resurrects the dead. That's the a very clear expression of, of overriding the laws of, of nature. And then we introduce different scenarios. We praise God for different scenarios in which we, um, we a person could, could find that, they, that they're in need of, of a salvation or, or they pray for someone who's in need of a salvation in these various types of scenarios, whether it's someone who's sick or someone who's in difficult straits or whatever it might be, these various praises of God express that, that nothing is, nothing is beyond his control. And we're, again, we're getting ourselves into the frame of mind that God, you are the one who sustains the living with sustenance. You resurrect the dead. You, you bring people back who are very sick. You release the imprisoned. And that is a way of preparing ourselves for the next step in, the, in, in our prayer service in, in the Amidah, where we're then going to start making requests of God with the full recognition that all of these requests are within his hands to fulfill. Okay, stop there.